Ladies and gentlemen, Jews and Gentiles, does the band Toto rock? We'll answer that question on this Rock and Roll Jew Show. Well, hi and hello, everybody. David Jacobs, the rock and roll Jew, 
back with you for another Rock and Roll Jew show. Thanks so much for being here. The website is rockandrolljewshow.com. Check that out for show notes and links and what have you. Um, Today, we're doing something a little bit different, and it's going to be a long show. So get yourself some popcorn or a beverage or whatever you need, because this is going to take a while. Into my stream of music daily popped in Toto one day. And that particular song we started with, I'll Supply the Love, off of the first album. And I hadn't thought about or heard Toto in a long time. And I thought, wow, that song is great. That really is a killer, rocking song. And it made me think a little bit about Toto and how I didn't really do much with Toto after that first album. Now, let's rewind just for a second. It's 1978, and I'm in, I think I'm like uh, just in high school or such. And the Toto's first album comes out. But also what comes out in 1978 is Van Halen and their first album. So, of course, everyone loves Van Halen. They absolutely swamp the rock world. Everything gets blown out of the water by Van Halen 1. It's such a monumental, insane thing. But Toto is sitting there in the background, and I think... Unfortunately for them, they didn't really get uh, more of the play that they might have gotten, except for the fact that Van Halen blew everybody else out of the water in 78. But I heard Toto, and it was Hold the Line. That was the single that they did have some success with. And I liked that song. I really liked that song. But it had to be a bit of a guilty pleasure, because Toto was sort of like, well... They're kind of disco-y and not really fully hard rock because if you were cool, you were into Van Halen, which was hard rock in your face all day. And Toto was a little more like, I don't know what this is. It's a little disco-y. It's a little light. It's a little I don't know. So, of course, I liked Van Halen. There wasn't a kid in high school that didn't have a, a Van Halen logo scrawled onto their Trapper Keeper, right? But I also liked Toto, although I didn't tell anybody about that. It was a hidden pleasure for me. I loved Hold the Line. It's a great song. Huge, heavy rock riff. But then it's got this sort of R&B with a sprinkle of disco mixed in. Um, And so that's kind of how I came to Toto. But then I lost track of them completely. After the first album, I didn't think about Toto for years until... Toto 4 was unleashed upon us. And, of course, it's Rosanna and it's Africa. And we'll get there when we get there, but I hate Toto 4. I think it's... I hate it. I think it's horrible, mamby-pamby crap. And I know that's when they had their major success, but for me, that was the worst album. (laughs) I'm a little different than some other people, maybe. So anyway, uh, when I heard The Who Supply the Love, I thought about, I don't know, for some reason I wanted to go through the catalog. So I fired up uh, my Apple Music and started going through Toto albums. Like, well, let's just 
dip in here and see what I missed. Toto 2, 3, 4, whatever the albums were. Let's just dip in here, play some songs, and see what I missed, right? Um, and I was very surprised to find that these guys rock. They're not. Toto 4 is not like at all Toto 1, 2, or 3. It's completely different. Turns out that Toto's 1, 2, and 3 albums rocked. Good, hard, rocking, great guitar, uh, great vocals. They're a rocking band. Four, I think, is mamby-pamby crap. And then we'll have to, you know, as we go along, they hit the 80s. And unfortunately, in the 80s, they succumb to 80s rock. If you know anything about 80s rock, you know what I'm talking about. It's it's kind of cringeworthy and not very good. And they have a couple of albums in the 80s that are very 80s rock, and they're not very good. But then all of a sudden they hit the 90s, and they're back to rocking again, and even into the 2000s. So I think that a lot of people's um, image of Toto is surrounded by four, by Africa and Rosanna. And they are kind of like this mamby-pamby pop band. And that's what you think about when you think Toto. But it turns out, Toto's actually a rocking band. They do rock. And it's not until you dip into all the other stuff that you've never heard before that you realize that these guys rock. They got ripping guitar solos, a great vocalist, and they have this completely unique style of heavy rock riffs mixed in with R&B and soul and that little sprinkle of disco at times. But not so much that it's disco, but just enough to give it that tiny bit of flavor, but not kick it over the edge. Anyway, I have a, a very quick summary. I can't, this Toto band summary on Wikipedia is like, it goes on forever. There's so many details and there are so many band members that came and went and rejoined. And I mean, it's a long, twisted tale that I'm not going to tell you about the band. It's just crazy. But very quickly, just to set the stage, Toto, American rock band, formed in 1977 in Los Angeles. Steve Lukather, sorry, that's not how you say his name. Steve Lukather, yes. Guitars and vocals. This is kind of the heart of the band. Steve, ripping, great guitar. Um, uh, I don't know how to say his name. David Peitch, keyboards. Joseph Williams, vocals. There's also an original vocalist who was Bobby Kimball, I think was the original frontman vocalist, who's just fantastic. But then he goes away. Other people kind of take over. Then he comes back. Like I said, it's a long, twisted history. I can't even barely untangle it myself. All I know is... The vocals are always really good, but they're especially good early with Bobby Kimball. The guitar is always ripping because of Steve Lukather. And then all these other members that come kind of in and out as the years go by. A lot of these members had worked in uh, other bands like Boss Skaggs and Steely Dan, Steely's, sorry, Steely Dan, Seals and Crofts, Boss Skaggs, Sonny and Cher, and many others do these collection of uh, musicians come from. So very experienced, and they've played on these other big, big records. So really talented people here. You know, these guys have the chops. So 
today, what I want to do is step with you through this discography. And it turns out that it's a really long discography. These guys have a ton of albums, all the way back to 78, uh, all the way through 2018. There are some starts and stops where they disbanded and came back, but there's a lot of albums. And I'm going to play one or two-ish songs from each one, although we're going to skip the 80s because, frankly, it's terrible, as I said. And we're just going to step through, and I'm going to show you that Toto actually rocks. They're a really good rock, rocking band. It was a little bit surprising to me as well. I didn't really realize how good they really were because I'd only really heard the first album, then four, and then... The rest of it, I have no idea what's going on. So we're going to have this journey. There's going to be a hell of a lot of music, but it's going to be fun. And I think that your perception of Toto might completely change by the end of this if you hang in and uh, stick with me on this kind of journey. It's going to be cool and it's going to be fun. So Toto won 1978. I'll Supply the Love. What a phenomenal song. I love the whole ending riff. It's just great. The second track I'm going to play is a song that I don't think got any airplay. And I totally forgot about it myself until I went back to that album and started listening again. I was like, oh, this song. Oh, my gosh. This song's great. So second one up on the first album is a really killer track with an incredible groove. It's called Girl Goodbye.
Yeah, incredible groove. Outstanding vocal. Just so soulful, man. Love that kind of stuff. And then a ripping great guitar solo near the end. What's not to like? It's a little bit poppy at times, but then you get a heavy guitar riff coming in at times as well. That's why Toto's so weird, because you get a little bit of everything all mixed together. You get the rock and the soul, R&B, jazzy, little disco-y. It's got like a million different uh, influences perfectly blended together. I think that's what makes them so interesting and kind of hard to pin down. Uh, You can't just call them one thing. They've got like five things all mixed together in such a super cool way. That song particularly, the soulful vocal, man. Oh, I don't know how you can't love that. And then so the third one we'll do, we come to Hold the Line. This is the big one. This is the big single that kind of launched this album and them and got most of the airplay. It's the song that captured me uh, as, uh, as many others. And it's got more of the same. Great vocal, super groovy beat, and then this really great heavy guitar riff. riff. I'd almost call it anthemic, although maybe that's being too over the top, but it's just this killer, great, hard guitar riff and then this super groovy, excellent uh, groove, and then these super cool vocals. It's all the things, again, that make Toto really, really great uh, in this song as well. So let's roll this one. Um, I can't tell you what my favorite is. I like all three of these kind of equally well, but this was the big song off this album, and it sounds to me as good today as it did, you know, Gosh, how old is it now? 40 or so years ago, right? To me, uh, this stuff still holds up. You know, all three of these songs hold up because they're based so much on foundational roots of music, right? Rock, blues, funk, soul, R&B. These are foundational pieces that just can't be moved. And when you base your music on that kind of solid foundation, it's always going to hold up and always sound fantastic. It's not fatty or anything like that. It's just good meat, potatoes, rock. So hold the line off Toto 1.
Hold the Line. It's a classic from Toto, an absolute classic. So we move on now to the second album called Hydra. This was 1979. So they're just hitting it hard. Only one year later, they released the second. There's some information here that I didn't even know. Like, uh, it featured a single called 99, which I think I remember. And it was inspired by George Lucas's cult film THX 1138, which I had no idea. That's crazy information I didn't know. But now Steve Lukather, how come I can't say his name? Lukather. Steve Lukather confessed that despite the song's popularity, he hated 99, and it's one of his least favorite Toto songs, uh, which is kind of interesting. This album is, again, pretty damn rocking, sounding great, more of the same, and I love it. And the tune that I've picked for this one is uh, a song called White Sister.
Love that one. We move on now to the third album, and it's called Turn Back. It's 1981 now. And this album is a venture into arena rock, heavier guitars, fewer keyboards than the previous albums. But the album's disappointing chart performance and sales in just about every country except, I guess, Japan and Norway put the band's career into further jeopardy as they had not had a hit single in North America in almost two years. So we're getting into crunch time now where the record company's looking at you and saying, hmm... What exactly are we going to do with you? It's so fascinating because a lot of times bands go through this same process where they might have a hit out of the box, then they don't do much for a while, or sometimes they just don't do much from the beginning, and they get to that critical point, that critical point where it looks like it's just about the end of the line, and then something incredible happens, and they explode. I'm thinking mostly of Rush. If you look at Rush's career, they, you know, were good. They had some um, people who liked them, but they didn't really catch fire, didn't really catch fire. And by the time they got to 2112, they were very much on extremely thin ice. I think it was pretty much known that at that time, that record was going to be it for Rush. Either you come out with something that hits or you are done. They were right on the edge. And that's why they kind of decided, I think the record company said to Rush, you need a hit. You are just about to be over, so you better write something with a hit in it or something. And they said, gee, that's not the kind of band we want to be. So if we're going to go out, we're going to go out swinging. We're going to go out all guns blazing, and we're going to do this crazy, insane 2112 project that's just going to either blow people away or destroy our career, but we're taking the big swing for the fences. They were right at that moment, and then 2112 comes, and the rest is history. Well, right here, Toto is on the brink. People are looking at them saying, you haven't had a hit in two years. Your last two albums really just didn't do much you're right there about to be over. And then what happens after this album? Toto 4. Now, personally, I don't like Toto 4. But I cannot argue with history, Toto 4 exploded. They had two massive hits, and that was it. It's just interesting to me that here's another band that was on the brink of dying, and then, boom, they come out with the record that you know, distinguishes and just, you know, that's the whole career for there, from, from there, just lights the rocket underneath uh, their ship and boom. Man, I have terrible analogies today. I'm so sorry. You know what I'm saying, right? Um, but here on the third album, Turn Back, it, this is why I like this album. Arena rock, heavier guitars. This is what I'm into. So yeah, this album rocks. And what's really cool about this album and the song I'm going to play uh, which is, i got to remember the title, I Think I Could Stand You Forever. It's a ballad. It's a slow one. But you know what's cool? Even the ballads rock. And this is a good example of that. Great guitar solo near the end of this one as well. Let's check it out. From the third album, Turn Back Toto, I Think I Could Stand You Forever. Would you say no If I asked you 
And then we come to Toto 4. We have arrived. It's 1982, and it's the beginning of Toto's most successful era, which is weird to say because for me, the 80s albums are terrible. That's where they are at their worst, frankly. Um, But it's hard to argue again with history. Toto 4, triple platinum. Of course, they've got Rosanna and Africa. Um, They are topping the charts with all this stuff. Toto 4 earned six Grammy Awards, Record of the Year for Rosanna, Album of the Year, Producer of the Year, just, you know, all the accolades you could possibly get for an album that I think is Mamby Pamby Light Trash. Uh, that's just me. I'm sorry if I have offended you, but I hate it. I think it's just schlocky awful. It makes me gag. Um, but, you know, that's the album that saved them. And I'm going to read you a couple other quick things here if I can find them. A lot of things happen now after this release. Things are shuffled like crazy. People are leaving the band, joining the band. Um, a lot of shakeup going on. And then you've got Billy Kimball, the uh, lead singer, facing prosecution for drug-related charges, which are dismissed. But he, they do fire him in 84 because he can't record the vocals and he's missing sessions and it's just becoming a mess. So they lose their iconic great front man. It says here at one point, Richard Page of the band Mr. Mister. Do you remember Mr. Mister? I do. He was offered the lead singer spot, but he turned it down. That's interesting. Um, all kinds of shakeup with the um, band at that point. And then the next album is Isolation. And I don't like any of the next three. Let me just tell you, the next three albums are, as we're going through the discography, um, after Toto 4, you get Isolation in 1984, Fahrenheit in 1986, and The Seventh One in 1988. All of these albums, for me, are terrible. They're just 80s schlock rock. The worst of it. Like, ugh. I cannot stand it. Maybe some of you think that's good and you like it and you don't mind it. I think it's just trash. Just the worst. What a horrible slump for them. But uh, I'm probably wrong because they had actually some decent success with these uh, albums. So Joseph Williams takes over as a lead singer at this point. I don't understand this Wikipedia note. Fahrenheit brought the band back from the heavier sound of isolation. Really? I don't think Isolation was necessarily a heavy sound. It's all 80s schlock rock for me. Uh, More ballads, which is why these albums get worse, uh, you know. This is notes for Fahrenheit. It does say that they recorded an instrumental piece called Don't Stop Me Now uh, with Miles Davis, of all people. And an unknown Paula Abdul appeared as a dancer in a music video, Michael McDonald had uh, background vocals on I'll Be Over You. And the Eagles, Don Henley, appeared on a track called Leah. 
just you know, all kinds of crazy stuff happening on this Fahrenheit album. I still think it's 80s schlock, but they're hooking up with some major league people, you know, Michael McDonald, Don Henley, Miles Davis, God forbid, um, kind of crazy. Then you've got the seventh one, another 1988, like I said, schlock rock horrible album, but it features John Anderson of Yes on background vocals on a single called Stop Loving You. Okay, the album's other single, Pamela, became pretty popular and hit the U.S. Top 40. The seventh one, it says, is the band's most successful release since Toto 4. Well, okay, bully for you, but I hate those 80s albums. I think they're terrible. So we're not playing any music from that. Trust me, it's just, in my humble opinion, no good. So, what happens then? Finally, they find their way out of the 80s, and we have the album Kingdom of Desire in 1992. Finally, the 90s come, and shockingly, we've got an album that's heavy and rocking again. It's such a wild change. I mean, I listened to these, and I sampled all these songs, and then I hit to this album, and it's like, oh, who flipped the switch? Because you're finally back to heavy and rocking. And this album is interesting because it has even more of a bluesy feel. I think that the early albums had more of an R&B and a soul feel. This one, the blues is turned up. And uh, that's really cool and very different. Uh, it's great. This is the heaviest album they've done, maybe of all, you know. And so I really like this album, Kingdom of Desire. I'm going to see quickly about the notes. So Steve Lukather sang the lead vocals on this because they didn't have a vocalist at that time. Then you've got something crazy. Jeff Pokoro dies in 1992 while working in his garden. They say it was a heart attack caused by hardening of the arteries caused by cocaine. Don't do drugs, kids. And it says, facing the prospect of a tour without Jeff, they almost broke up. But Jeff's family had said, no, go on, please. And so they replaced him, and on they went. And so the tracks from this album, I actually have two of them, because this is a really good album. Uh, the first one, and you'll hear it right away, the blues kicking in. It's Don't Chain My Heart. And the album was Kingdom of Desire, 1992. Sad you 
Moving on, it's 1995, and the album is Tambu. Their first album was Simon Phillips, who replaced um, Jeff Pokoro, who died. And it says here, a departure from the Toto sound of the late 70s and 80s, Tambu was very organic. Well, I suppose so. Um, my notes on this album just say, um, it's an okay album, you know, it's okay. Still rocks pretty well. I don't think I like this as well as Kingdom of Desire or some of the earlier ones, but it's, it's all right. And, um, the song I picked is called Slipped Away, you know, and it's, it's okay. I don't love it, but I do like it. I think it's a solid song. Uh, again, it's not quite as heavy and hard rocking as some of the other stuff. That's why I say Tambu is sort of different, as they say. It's just a little bit, just a hair lighter, possibly, um, but decent. I do like this song, though. So let's hear this one. Toto from 1995, Slipped Away. Slipped away. 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 
And now we come to 1997. It's the band's 20th anniversary. I mean, wow, that's a pretty good accomplishment. Um, they go through some old tapes and dig through unreleased songs, and they release uh, an album called Toto XX. I don't have anything uh, to play for that. But after Toto XX tour, Bobby Kimball rejoins the band after the lead sing- for to be the lead singer after 14 years. All kinds of shuffling going on all the time in this band. So it's 1999, and Minefields, their next proper album, comes out. It's okay. Uh, my notes on Minefields says it says decent. Still rocking, but a little bit lighter, kind of like Tambu. Just, you know, it's okay, but it doesn't really kind of blow me away. I don't have any songs from Minefields that I really wanted to play. Just nothing that stuck out for me. It's just okay. Um, But uh, it's cool to get their original lead singer back. Now, in 2002, they have a 25th anniversary and they release a covers album with all kinds of covers by Bob Marley, Steely Dan, The Beatles, Elton John. Fans hate it. They want new music. They don't like this at all, and it just tanks and doesn't do well at all. So now we have to fast forward all the way to 2006, where we get the album Falling In Between. It's the first album of new material since 1999, and it has a lot more keyboard work. It's got a duet with Joseph Williams, one of their lead singers, of the past and they go on a big old tour after this album as well so i've got for you the title track of uh falling in between from 2006 my notes my personal notes on this album say really good back to the heavy rock so it's really interesting right you have the 80s Then you get Kingdom of Desire, which is blues and heavy and really cool. Then you get these weird albums, Tambu and Minefields, which are okay, but a little lighter, just sort of eh eh. And now you've got Falling In Between, and all of a sudden, bam, they're back to heavy, hard rock, and it's a much, much better album. The song here is going to be the title track, Falling In Between.
Yeah, great stuff falling in between. And you can hear how wildly different that is from a lot of their other stuff. Much, much, much heavier. So now, after falling in between, we get a long hiatus, 2008. Uh, Lukather posts a message on the website saying, I have left Toto. There is no more Toto. I just can't do do it anymore after 50 years. And boom, the band is dead for a while. In 2010, they reform. There's a bit of a tour. Uh, They like to tour on their anniversaries, it seems like. But then the time rolls on and you've got to fast forward. Lukather also releases some solo albums during this time period. But you now got to re, um, you got to fast forward all the way to 2015. A lot of years. 2015 hits. And finally, they're going to release their 14th album called Toto 14. And another tour goes along with this. My notes here on uh, this album is that it is um, pretty good, pretty rocking, solid album. What's interesting about this album as well, at least on um, the, I think both Spotify and Apple Music, there's a commentary version. It's really quite interesting. You can hear the album, and then there's another version of the album that has commentary on every single track. Before every song, you will get a little commentary about the song, how it was developed, what they were thinking, all kinds of things. So it's actually quite interesting if you want to, if you're into like, you know, how do bands really put this together? How do these songs come about? That's kind of interesting uh, if you want to get deep inside, listen to the commentaries on, uh, on um, Toto 14. So it's a good album. It's still rocking. I uh, enjoy it. The song I'm going to play for this one is going to be called Running Out of Time. This is Toto. We're now in 
finally, we end our journey in 2018. Uh, they release sort of a uh, anniversary album, and they go on tour. This is where, after the European leg of the tour, Toto, they cover uh, the Weezer song Hashpipe, which is kind of a response to Weezer covering Africa. And why Weezer wanted to cover Africa. Of all the Toto songs, why would you pick that one? I mean, I would have covered Hold the Line or any of those other really early songs. But, you know, that's just me. And now in 2018, they uh, release the album called Old is New. And again, shuffling of members of the band again. Way too hard to keep track of the comings and the goings. Uh, But my note here for Old is New, 2018, good album, It's a rocking album, another solid effort. So the song we're going to go out with is called Devil's Tower. I hope this has opened your mind maybe to Toto. My mind certainly was opened. I was really surprised that there were this many good songs all throughout the years, the only exception being the 80s. Unless you like 80s schlock rock, then you might like that too. But pretty much... Really solid, really consistent all the way through. And Toto isn't sort of a mamby-pamby, soft light band, disco band. They're, as I've said before in this podcast, a really cool combo of rock, soul, R&B, disco, everything. All blended together so nicely. Uh, It really, really works. The answer to the question, does Toto rock? Yeah. Hell yeah, they do. They've got great vocalists, ripping guitar solos, great grooves, great drumming. This is a really terrific band. So we'll see where they go from here. You can't seem to kill Toto. They'll just shuffle members, bring more people in, bring old people back. This is a a band that just won't die, no matter what. They may take breaks here and there, but these guys seem like they're just going to go till they drop, which which is kind of great. So... Here we are, 2018. The album is called Old is New, and this last track is Devil's Tower. Thanks for listening. Super appreciate you hanging in this long with me, and I will talk to you next time.